Hello, welcome to Thoughts on Thoughts, a podcast where you, our listeners, can become part of a conversation with us. We are three therapists who are going to talk about the good, the hard, and all the in-betweens of life. Come join us. Wow, that intro made me feel like we're in some sort of inspirational sports film. Ooh, that'll be our next project. I'm not good at any sports. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. It'll, we're, we'll get good at sports first, and that's how we'll be an inspiration, because we sucked first, and then we got good. All right, well, welcome to Thoughts on Thoughts. I'm KJ Reed. Jessica Miller. And Taylor Thomas. So for today's episode, we're going to be talking about connection and attachment. And we're talking about that because it's a very foundational topic for our podcast. We hear people throw these phrases out a lot. Things like, oh, that's because of my daddy issues or, oh, I have trust issues. What does that really mean, though? That's what we're going to get to the bottom of today. We want to talk about why attaching in a secure way to our caregivers can have lasting effects on our lives. You'll learn about the different attachment styles, how they manifest, and what we can do to actually change them. So this episode is for you if you want to learn more about why you may struggle to attach and connect with others. Maybe you have people in your life that you struggle to connect with, or you just want to have an understanding of this so that you can make sure you do what you can to raise a securely attached child. Take it away, Jessica. Hey, guys, it's me, Jessica, your resident <laughs> attachment expert. Nice. Okay, guys, so attachment is my bread and butter. I have taught this countless times over the years, and every time it blows people's minds. Parents are like, oh, my gosh, I didn't realize that's why my kid was behaving this way, or I didn't understand that that's why we were so stressed in this relationship. And once they begin to shift things, it's like a miracle happens and the whole relationship and the family dynamic and everything changes. And so I love teaching this concept because it really shifts things. So we're going to kind of do a broad overview here, and then we're going to delve into each of the three attachment styles that we're highlighting today. So John Bowlby, way back when, did research and found out that kids generally show three different ways of attaching. He called them different things, but for our sake, we're calling them anxious, secure, and avoidant. Secure is what you want to be. This is where you have a bucket and when love comes into your bucket, you can hold on to that love. Anxious, our second type, is where you have a bucket of love And people put love into your bucket, but the love just kind of trickles out. And so you're always looking for more love in your bucket. And then avoidant, our last type that John Bowlby found, is someone who has a bucket, but they put a lid on top of it, and they're just not ready for people to give them love, and they're not ready to accept love from people. So John Bowlby found that these are the general three types. There's also a fourth type, which is called disorganized, which we're not going to get into today because that's 
mostly only applicable to kids who have severe trauma. If you want more information, write us and we'll let you know. So we're going to go through each of these three different attachment styles and kind of go through the cycle that we all go through to get our needs met. Because we all have needs, and those needs are basically needs for safety, belonging, and esteem. So we need to know that we have a house, we have clothes, we have food. Those are our safety needs. Next, we need to know that we belong. We need to have a family. We need to have someplace that we call home, people that we can go back to. And then lastly, we need to have those esteem needs met, which is that idea that we really need to know that people like being around us. Sure, it's one thing to know that like my mom is my mom because she birthed me, but it's another thing to know that my mom really likes me because I'm an enjoyable kid versus just she likes me because she has to because she's my mom. So we really need to have that need met to know that people enjoy being around us. So in a secure cycle, what happens is we have one of these needs arise and we're going to use the example of a little kid who's hungry because that's the easiest way to see how this whole thing works. So basically a need arises that kid says, oh my gosh, I'm hungry. So that's one of their physical needs. What happens, their body cues them to let them know what's going on. And so their body says, oh, hey, I'm hungry. And really the child knows that because since birth, they've been experiencing that feeling of hunger in their stomach and their brain is registering, oh, when my mom feeds me, I feel better. And so they have learned over time that feeling in my stomach means I need food. And when I get food, I feel better. So what they do is they take that physical cue and say, okay, I need to express this now. So then they tell their parent that they need food. So they basically have a couple of choices. They can throw a tantrum, they can yell, they can cry, or they can just use their words. And with a secure kid, you want to see them using their words most often, but they're not always going to be able to do that, especially as they're younger. You might see that they're going to be whining and complaining, but not to the level where you're really super frustrated with them. So next, that attachment figure, that parent, has the opportunity to meet their need. So the parent might say, hey, yeah, sure, you can have a string cheese. Thank you so much for asking me. And what happens next is that child's system will calm down because they were fed. And so that physical cue goes away. That emotional need of trust was met, and that child can calm down, trust their parent more, feel more calm, feel more connected, and be more likely to ask for what they need the next time. And hopefully over time becomes more likely to ask in more appropriate ways. So I know that if I just go up to my mom and say, can I have a cheese? My mom says yes most of the time because she knows that I'm hungry. And so I can use my words. I don't need to whine and complain because I'm afraid that she's not going to get it for me. I think it's so, hilarious that you picked string cheese as the example because you hate cheese. I don't like it. Yeah, I don't like cheese. Well, I well she it. picked it because kids love string cheese. <laughs> they do. I still love do. Yeah. dairy products. It's insane. Oh right? They could just live off of them solely. It's either a string That's cheese it. or a fruit snack. But I feel oh. like a fruit snack is not like a real need, you know. A snack is like crack to kids. It's insane. <laughs> but it I do really have, is. I do have a question. So when you're talking about like, okay, most of the time mom gives me the string cheese. What happens when mom says no for a mom reason? Like 
you've had five. No, you can't have another string cheese or for another mom reason that to the kid seems unfair or in their mind is not meeting their need. What happens then? Mm -hmm. If it's for a real reason, like, okay, we're going to have dinner in 15 minutes. You've already had a snack. You're not hungry. That parent can recognize that that child is not trying to meet their true need or that they can put off that need for a few more minutes. And that will basically build trust in the caregiver if the caregiver does follow through in 15 minutes and provide dinner. Because really, ultimately, we only need to be meeting anyone's needs three out of four times. So it's about 75% of the time we want to say, hey, I'm going to see what you need and I'm going to fulfill that need so that you can calm down. Whereas that other 25% of the time, we can either have that child delay their need or just not meet it because we can't. So there's times when you say, oh, I'm so sorry. We're at the mall right now and there's no food. I can't get you food. You're just going to have to be hungry. But if that was happening every day, that would lead to one of our other cycles like anxious or avoidant. But if it's happening one out of four times, the child should be able to manage that and have trust that you will fulfill their needs later. Okay. So you hear that, parents? Three out of four. You only have to meet their needs three out of four times. So you don't have to be perfect. I feel great right now. (laughs) Right. And it really is. It's realizing that your child doesn't need perfection from you. They just need you to be consistent is really what it comes down to. Okay, so here is our next attachment style, anxious. These are kids who, like I said, that bucket of love has a little bit of a trickle. And so they're always looking for someone to fill their bucket up a little bit more. So let me highlight the differences between that secure attachment style where those needs are met and an anxious style where they're not met completely. So what happens in an anxious attachment style is that those same needs are arising a need for physical safety, belonging, and esteem. But what happens in a more anxious child is that they literally feel those hunger pangs or that need for belonging a lot bigger. And their system is going to be screaming at them and be flooded with all of this emotion and physical sensation. So their growling stomach might feel like they're starving. So they literally have a bigger reaction in their body. And so what happens is to express it, they're going to have a bigger expression. But unfortunately, with children and with teenagers, that comes across as kind of difficult behavior. So their attachment cries become a little more annoying and a little harder to deal with. It's a little bit suffocating the attachment figure because you're trying to meet this child's needs, but it feels like as soon as you meet one need, a new need pops up. So it's like this never-ending game of attachment whack-a-mole, where you're like, okay, I just fed you, and now they're like, okay, but now I need to snuggle. And you're like, hey, so I'm going to snuggle you for a minute. And then all the time, <laughs> the like next That's like the perfect visual I've ever yeah. heard. <laughs> right? So it really is. It's just all these attachment needs popping up. So this is where you'll see a kid who, instead of asking for a snack, They're just going to start tantruming or become very demanding or insistent, dramatic, all of those kind of behaviors. And what happens is they come to their attachment figure and they're yelling, I'm so hungry. I need food right now. And mom is saying, hey, I'll get you some food, but I need you to calm down. And that's pretty appropriate. That's what we would expect, right? But what happens is that kid's system 
continues to escalate it and tells them, well, you need to scream louder then. And so the child continues to escalate and the parent finally is like, you know what? You need to go to your room, calm down, and then I can get you a snack. But what happens is that child goes to their room and what they don't have that need met. And so they're in their room continuing to escalate their behaviors. They're screaming about how I'm so hungry, I'm starving, and you're the worst mom ever, and all of this. They're screaming in their room, and the cycle completes, and they have more distrust in their parent because they think, my mom couldn't even get me my string cheese when I needed it. And mom is downstairs saying, I feel exhausted from dealing with this child because she can't just ask me for a string cheese. She has to throw a tantrum every time. And so the anxious cycle, you can kind of identify as being really exhausting for both the kid and the parent. Yeah, and calm down. I don't think I have ever actually calmed down when someone's told me the words calm down. (laughs) Yeah, right? We can calm down when someone gets on our level and they say, hey, can you take a few deep breaths with me and then tell me what you need? Kids can calm down that way. Kids do not calm down when we say, you need to calm down before I'm giving this to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I and guess that, the was, child, like, that would yeah. be my follow-up question is, so what? what is that attachment figure to do in those situations? A lot of times it's going to be meeting that child's needs and then or redoing the whole cycle. Okay. So where the parent says, hey, you know what? I see that you are so hungry right now. Can we talk about that? Or can you redo that and ask me for a string cheese? And and really that parent, if the child is very anxious, should have that string cheese in their hand and oh. say, hey, I got you your snack. Can we redo that? And you can ask me for this because I would love to help you eat this, you know. Mm-hmm. And then that child can see that their need is being met And so they should be able to calm down a lot quicker. And it's like showing the child that the attachment figure wants to give it to them. Yes, and that they're totally willing to, right? Yeah, yeah. that it's not like, I want to hold this back for me. It's, I'd really love to give this to you. Let me give this to you kind of thing. Okay, that makes sense. And what happens a lot with anxious kids is that that parent will be triggered and that parent doesn't want to meet the child's needs because they don't feel like they're deserving because you're Mm -hmm. screaming at me. Mm -hmm. And that is where you'll get into that stuck cycle versus seeing past the way they're telling you to what they actually need and realizing, you know what, if I just take you home and get you a snack, we're going to have a much better day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That kind of thing. Yeah. So in terms of anxious attachments, I feel like Logan and I have experienced kind of an anxious attachment with Scout. So at the beginning of this past year, Scout, I mean, in her previously when she was growing up, we always felt like she was pretty secure. She was like all of her reactions were pretty reasonable. I mean, she would create drama and tantrum just as, you know, an ordinary two-year-old at that time. Uh But in January, she experienced a really big trauma. Um, She was on a a bench swing, a really big bench swing, and she was swinging with Logan. And she was on the upswing, and she slid off the swing, and she fell um, 
quite a, she fell quite a ways and she fell on her chin. So all of her body weight fell on her chin and, um, she ended up fracturing her jaw in three places. But at the hospital, while she was staying there for her surgeries and everything, I would leave just to go home for an hour, um, maybe to spend time with Boone or to shower. And she would Mm -hmm. freak out when I would leave crying, um, just so whiny. And, and I mean, that was understandable because she had just had such a huge trauma, but then we noticed in the months to follow, she would only want me to put her down at night. She wouldn't want to go out to the beach with Logan. Like she always had, she wouldn't want to go spend time with my mom. She was so focused on me and all of her tantrums wore. I mean, she wouldn't want Logan to get her pajamas on at night you know I was the person and it was exhausting as a as a parent it was so hard because I loved her and I wanted to give her what she needed but at the same time it was exhausting for me it was just emotionally draining and it was really really difficult for Logan because he was so close to her and then to feel rejected by her was right. was was really difficult for our family and for not something that he had really done but just because of the impact of this trauma on her exactly so i mean we've worked really hard but so would you characterize her as avoidant or secure or i mean does she fall into one category do kids fall into multiple how does that work It's definitely, you could say, like, it's a spectrum of um, behavior where some kids will have very secure attachment for a long time and then something big happens and it flips them into a different attachment style. But they Mm -hmm. can still pull from that security at times and other times they just can't and they are literally frozen in that avoidant or anxious attachment. But really, you'll see more anxious behaviors or more avoidant behaviors in general from any kid because Mm -hmm. the more stress that they have, it's more likely they're going to go to that secondary, Mm -hmm. not as appropriate way of coping. And so you might see, okay, something bad really happened. She was thrown into a way stressful environment. And so she could not then regulate her system without you there. Mm -hmm. And she chose you as the primary attachment figure of, okay, my mom can help me fill my bucket every two seconds. Mm -hmm. That's who I want to be with no one else. Mm -hmm. And really it's hard because she doesn't need you. Mm -hmm. She needs attachment. Yeah. She was viewing it as I need my mom. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you guys, because I know when we were in California, she seemed a lot more secure, a lot more calm. How did you guys kind of move her out of that? Oh, it took so much work. It took a lot of work. So what we I mean, it just, it got to the point where we were having a difficult time functioning as a family, you know, just because I was being required to do a lot and I didn't want my attachment with Boone, our youngest, to suffer because of that. And so we just started to push her a little bit in the opposite direction with like care and support. So I'd say like, okay, dad's going to put your pajamas on tonight. And then of course we would have that knee jerk reaction of the freak out, you know, no, 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 the screaming, the crying and all this stuff. And I would say, you're going to be okay. Like you are going to be okay. And I'd say, I have to go be with Boone. Like I have to go be with Boone. I have to go help him. And then Logan would put on her pajamas and they would have, you know, and then she would calm down. She'd allow him to dress her and then we'd all go be together. So it was almost like 
evidence to her like okay dad just dressed me and it was okay you know and then he would do it in like a really loving way you know where he would just like bring her in really close and talk to her and play with her and just try to make it like a really meaningful experience and so we just kept doing that and one thing that I think is really important here is that Logan had to not take it personally like he had to really work to not take it personally because I know a lot of people would be like okay you don't want me it's too hard okay no your mom can do it you know but we all had to put in the work and the time and she and after I mean months and months of that like we've really worked and she's made a lot of progress kind of pulling her out of that but yeah I think it's just like showing her that she can do it like that it's okay and she's gonna be okay and that we're gonna be right there with her for everything that she has to do so yeah that's what yeah and so you guys can see how really what Taylor and Logan were doing was still completing that secure cycle but allowing Scout to depend on a different attachment figure than just Taylor Mm -hmm. so basically saying hey, look, your dad can meet your needs too. You just have to remember it and become a little bit more flexible in allowing him to do that, which is awesome. So I feel like you guys handled it just the right way. And especially what you want to notice is that they didn't force it immediately following the accident. They gave her some time to heal from the accident before they then went to heal how she was meeting her needs. Yeah. Because we wouldn't expect her to be able to switch to Logan immediately in the hospital because Mm -hmm. that just would be too much trauma for her all at one time. So she really needed Taylor to be there for her more. But then as she's healing from that literal physical trauma, she can then start to heal that emotional trauma as well, Mm -hmm. which was great. So good job, parents. Oh, we did one thing right. (laughs) Yes, we'll take it. Okay, so... Taylor just gave us a great example of what can go wrong when a trauma happens. And that can lead to that anxious attachment style, but it can also lead to our avoidant attachment style. So this is the kid who has that bucket, who's covered it up and doesn't want anyone to put anything in there. And so with the avoidance, they, again, they have a need arise. They have a big physical reaction similar to that anxious kid who's going to have that system flooded But then what an avoidant child will do is that they're going to shut off that connection to those cues. So if I'm feeling hungry, I'm going to try and detach myself from my body. If I'm feeling lonely, I'm going to try and feel like I'm independent and I don't need friends. So I'm going to shut that down. And then when I'm expressing my need, it's going to become very opposite. I'm going to be shut down. I'm not going to talk to you. The less I'm saying to you, the more that should indicate to the parent of an avoidant kid that they actually do need something. So the example that I give sometimes is that when I would come home from school in high school, I was pretty avoidant and I would come to my mom and be like, Oh, this big thing happened at school in my mind. And I'm like, and if she asks me this question, I'm going to tell her all about it. It's like a pass. And so my mom comes. This is my favorite story ever. Yeah. So my mom's like, hey, Jessica, how was school? And I go, fine. And she says, okay. And then I'm like, you failed. She didn't even want to know. 
right? <laughs> if she had wanted to know, she would have sensed that something was wrong and she would have probed until she had figured it out. But the thing that's unfair about that is that if she had sensed it and probed, I wouldn't have told her anyway, right? Because no matter what, it mm-hmm. wasn't going to be enough because I did not want to connect with her in that mm-hmm. way. I wanted to do it on my terms, which didn't feel safe for me. So it became no terms. Yeah. Right. And that's just for me, it didn't grow out of a big trauma or anything. That was just more of my personality. And I've always been that way. I've been more independent. But with that, it became more of a pulling away from that attachment figure instead of allowing her to be in my life. Right. So then. Yeah. Jessica, I just want you to make that point really quickly. That kind that because that question always pops up for me when I think about attachment is is where do these things come from? So it's either trauma, like we talked about with Scout or some other kids, uh-huh. or I mean, or some pe- or some kids just wired like this. Like absolutely, yes. Okay, you will see. You'll see parents who come in with their biological child, and they'll describe them to me, and they'll just say, "Ever since she was a baby, she didn't need me to coddle her." She would fall on the playground and she would stand up and I could tell she was pretty hurt and she'd just keep going on and playing. Or he would literally just like run straight into the wall and then be like, okay, I'm just going to keep playing. And you're like, do you want to cry? Do you want me to hold you? And the kid's like, no, I'm fine. And they just go on their way. And those are some signs where like they're just more independent and less Mm -hmm. attuned to their body. And so it can grow into that avoidant attachment. If you're not really saying, Hey, let's slow down. That looked like it really hurt. Let me make sure you're okay. You know, Mm -hmm. if you're just allowing them to be independent all the time, that can be a problem. And that's where parenting can be so hard because what's the line. Mm -hmm. And that's where if you ever are like, I don't know where the line is. You need to talk to people around you and be like, is this seeming normal to you? Or do you feel like he's like too far over here? And people can give you great feedback. Mm-hmm. They also might be afraid to give you feedback. And if you feel like that's happening, go to a therapist because they'll be pretty honest with you. <laughs> but that's the thing is some kids just are wired that way naturally. And so you mm-hmm. want to work with their attachment style to move it towards more security. Mm-hmm. But it just depends. But yeah. trauma will absolutely for sure lead to an insecure attachment style especially i work with those dcfs clients those kids who are in foster care and adopted out of foster care Mm -hmm. and they almost always have an insecure attachment style either anxious or avoidant because they had a rupture in their primary attachment which is with their biological parents Mm -hmm. and that's a huge trauma for any child yeah i find that when i do family therapy or when I work with multiple people, like when parents will bring in their teenagers and stuff like this, I've had kids come in and they won't even be able to talk to their parents because they're so avoidant for whatever reason. Right. And mm-hmm. the parents are just so lost. They're like, what can I do whenever I try to talk to them there? We fight. Or whenever I try to get close to them, they put up the wall or they stonewall me or how can I even do this? And sometimes what I'll recommend to them is just be in their space. Like just hey. be near them because there's something really powerful about being close to somebody. And I think that really taps into some of those needs that you were talking about in the beginning is that esteem need of being liked, 
Right. Because really we expect teenagers, they can provide for their own physical needs in a lot of ways. And so we're really looking at providing those emotional needs at a time when they're also learning how to distance themselves from you. And so it gets really complicated, but just being with them and showing them I'm meeting that need for esteem because I really do like you. That's going to go a long way. Mm -hmm. And so parents, if you ever have this question of, oh, I feel like they're getting in this bad cycle, the first thing that you can do is come and just be with them and be in their space and be around them because that's going to give you the most information that you need. You're going to be able to see how they respond to you, how they accept you, and you're going to be able to anticipate their needs a lot better because you're just there. And so if you need help cultivating a secure attachment, go on a mommy-daughter date with your child. Go on a daddy-daughter date with your child. Spend time with them and see what they're all about. And you're going to find that you reap those rewards for a long time later. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So something that's beautiful is parents stopping and just giving their full attention to their child and finding joy in them again. Because what so often happens, especially with these insecure attachment styles, is that it becomes overwhelming to become the parent, right? Taylor was talking about how she felt so tired providing for everyone's needs. Mm -hmm. And I can guarantee that when Scout says, I don't want dad to put on my pajamas, I want you, Taylor's not feeling joy in that moment, right? (laughs) I ain't feeling loved, no. Yeah. (laughs) But if you can stop and literally give your child a little bit of joy and a little bit of that feedback that you love them and you love being with them, it's going to go so far. So that can look like they get in the car at school and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy to see you. I have missed you all day. What have you been doing? And that child's going to be like, oh my gosh, my mom is happy to see me. This is awesome. <laughs> and they're going to be more likely to open up and tell you that kind of thing. Or I'm making dinner and my mom, my child's like, Mom, 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 mom. But if you can look at them for 30 seconds and say, oh my gosh, I'm making dinner just for you. And I'm making this meal that I know that you like this one part of, right? I'm making mashed potatoes because I know you love them. Can you just give me 10 minutes to make mashed potatoes? And maybe after we can snuggle on the couch and watch a movie. And the child's like, oh, my mom noticed me. She was so happy. She's doing this for me. And that child can move on and have that need for emotional attention met. So it's all just about giving them even just these little bursts of joy. Yeah, I really, I just really like what you just said, because I feel like in the world of parenting, when you think about like, okay, how do I need to quote fix my kid or how do I need to do this? It all seems so overwhelming, but I like that advice because that seems so doable. You know, it's something that all of us can do or all of us can try to be better at because it just takes a couple of seconds, you know, and it takes a couple mm-hmm. minutes. It's it's not a complete, you know, redesign of our of our parenting philosophy or, right. you know, you know, it's not like we have to completely change all of our routines and we have to declutter our house and change the way that we do everything. Right. It's literally taking like two seconds to look our kid in the eye and tell them that we like them, you know, but I think it's, it's the reminder that that is important and necessary. That is Mm -hmm. one of the biggest takeaways from today. I think for parents at least. Yeah. Cause really what happens with attachment is we really form our primary attachment style between the ages of zero and three. And so 
But what happens is we don't always get those needs met during that time and things can go wrong, but we can repair that. And it does take a long time to repair an attachment style, but we can do it by connecting to someone who is bigger, stronger, wiser, and kinder than us. I think that's, I mean, I think that's so hopeful because I think inevitably we all kind of have stuff we take from childhood that maybe is maladaptive and we want to work on that. And just knowing that we can, I think is really helpful. We just have to work on our awareness of our stuff. Yeah, exactly. So guys, we just want to leave you with a few takeaways from today's episode, just so that you have something that you can go home, try out, see how it works. And we would love to hear about it. Please share, post on our Instagram. Let us know if these things help for, like with you. And then if they do, challenge your friends, share, get the word out because we love attachment and we would love to see people doing it just a little bit better. So let's go through our three takeaways. All right. So our three takeaways we want you to first just notice the feelings you experience in in an interaction with your child or maybe with a friend or a spouse. Uh, so just notice if you feel suffocated, you may be experiencing your own avoidance. If you feel like you need to pull people in close to you with drama or emotions, you're probably experiencing an anxious attachment. And if you feel that you can depend on others and they can depend on you, then you're feeling secure. And just remember that as those things come up, we can all have those things come up from time to time. If you experience that a little bit here and there, that doesn't mean you need to freak out and that you're anxious or you're avoidant. It's more just mm -hmm. collecting data for yourself so that you can work on it. The second takeaway is to know if you have a child is to notice your child's attachment style and notice their patterns. Do they have overreactions to small events and need your support? They might be anxious. Uh, if you need to pry them open, like the teenagers we were talking about earlier, then maybe they're avoidant. Or do you feel like your child comes to you when it is appropriate, but is learning to function and is independent when it's appropriate, then they're likely secure. So just notice that in your child. And again, just collect that data for yourself and your family. And then the last one, I think, is my favorite takeaway. And I'm definitely going to do this this week. Um, like we talked about, a lot of attachment issues can be resolved by trying to connect more and to do it in meaningful ways. So we want you guys to try maybe going out with a friend or your partner or your child and do an activity with them or just spend one-on-one -on -one time with them. The important thing here is to put your phone away. Put it away. We live in a time of distraction and multitasking. And if you want something like this to work, you just need to put the phone down and look who you're with in the eyes and enjoy the connection and let them know, like Jessica's talking about, that you find joy in that relationship and make a conscious effort to show that you're happy to be with them. I think if we took time to do that more intentionally in our daily lives, we would feel more connection with people. So 
Those are our takeaways. We hope you guys enjoyed this episode and we will catch you next week with an episode about attachment and connection in romantic relationships. So stay tuned for that. That's sure mm-hmm. to be a wild <laughs> and fun time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Thanks for joining us today. We want to create a community of inclusion where we can have conversations about topics that you need help with or have questions about. We want you to have a voice in this process, so please let us know what you want to hear about on future episodes. You can email us at thoughtspod at gmail.com, and if you search thoughtspod, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All original music is composed by Milan Vrijich from Valley of the Bears, and our logos are by Rick Thomas. Thanks for joining us. Bloopers. Bloopers. We want to leave you with takeaways. Well, I'm speaking to you both from a blanket fort of a nice blanket with coniferous trees on it. Coniferous? What is coniferous? Those are the kind of trees where uh, they don't shed. Do they have cones as well? Uh, yeah, coniferous.